birthday. Welcome to Beyond. So glad to have you on. Dude, it's good to be back. I'm really glad to be here, Ben. Yeah, man. So, hey, for those of you in the audience, be sure to hit like and subscribe. It helps the algorithm identify the show uh, so more people can enjoy the content. And today we want to talk about as part of the roadmaps to resilience is really mastering your anger, how to turn a short fuse into a long fuse. And I think in these pandemic times, nothing could be more poignant than how to manage our emotions, our anger, our thoughts to a lot of frustrations that are going on around us. And there is a uh, prominent philosopher and playwright in Rome called Seneca. And he had a very interesting quote on anger, which said, goes something like this. We shouldn't control anger, but destroy it entirely. Pretty strong words for what control is there for a thing that's fundamentally wicked. He viewed anger as uh, basically temporary madness and we should never act on the base of it because it affects uh, directly our insanity. So, so Berkey, what I want to talk about is really seven pillars to control anger. And one of them, the first pillar is really recognizing that anger is destructive, right? Mm. We can prevent anger if we see anger's faults. And we understand that we are capable of reason as, as a human species, but anger on the other hand is unreal, unreasonable and damages society. So I wanna get your thoughts on not only recognizing anger, but also recognizing its destructive characteristics. Man, absolutely. You know, but before I talk about anger, anger I always like when I'm, when I'm engaging with people is I don't say anger is not just when you explode. Anger is this slow process. Sometimes it's a drip method. It's not just having a short fuse and you have to struggle with anger management. It's also frustration, right? It's something that peeves you. There's, there's a spectrum. And when you understand that you are anywhere on the spectrum, then what you want to do is you want to still be able to regulate it. You want to be able to control it because that's when you have your power. Now, to recognize anger, one of the things that I think is really important is to kind of see that it is destructive, but it also serves a purpose. And what I always ask people is, what is the cost? What are the costs and benefits of anger? And if you look at it, most of the time when people express anger, it's when there's discontentment, when they're not happy with what's happening. So they're, they're at odds with the present moment. So you have to not be present. You have to not accept the present moment. That's, that's kind of one of the things. That's a cost. Also, what happens is when people are threatened, when you're afraid or when you were threatened, then all of a sudden to regain power, you display anger. So there's some benefit to it, but we have to understand what it does to relationships. We have to understand what it does to our cognition when we're constantly thinking about the way things are not the way they're supposed to be. What it does, it puts us in this constant state of disagreeing with what's happening. And if you're constantly disagreeing, you're only building on your narrative of why life isn't the way that it should be. Then your mind starts to see more and more things that agree with your narrative of how life is not the way it should be. And you put yourself in a, in a place where that poison grows. So really kind of this cost benefits analysis is a really good way to say, okay, when I was angry last time, what did I gain? Because there is a reward in it, but what did I lose? And when right. you really start to measure it out, then you have clarity on really what the cost is of anger. You know, it almost feels like that anger makes us a slave, right? Because if we're living in the subconscious world, it feels like it would blind us to the future and our goals, our hopes and our dreams and make us a slave to our subconscious mind that just constantly churns and is focused on this ultra negative aspect. Man, you know what? It's the difference between reaction and response. And this is what I always tell my clients. If you're doing something you don't intend to do, it means your intention is not tied to it, then what are you? The truth is, I want to do something else, but I'm being forced chemically, right? And without the ability to control myself to do something else. That's called slavery. I mean, simple as that. You're forced against your will to do something that you don't want to do. That's why when people are done, they kind of wake up and they're like, what did I just do? But the truth is, is that when you realize that it's slavery, then it puts you in a position where you don't think that you're bad. 
you think that there's something that you need to gain control over. You have to become aware of what it is. And the only way to do that is through mindfulness, hands yeah. down, to yeah. be able to watch yourself. You know, and what I often say is that if you can get yourself to be a responder versus a reactionary being, then you gave freedom. And that freedom changes the way that you see the world. Right. No, that, that's so powerful. And one of the things I've noticed about anger, and again, go to YouTube videos, go to a, a dynamic where someone is rational, all of a sudden the fuse is lit and yeah. boom, they blow. It feels like anger can't be slowed down. It's almost like it has momentum and you're under its control that goes, this sort of leads into destruction and chaos. Um, talk to us about the momentum of anger. I mean, we've all seen it, um, right. whether in our personal lives or our friends, certainly on videos, you know, YouTube's full of them. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the momentum that, that anger creates. Yeah. Well, if you think about this, if you are being attacked, you become extremely alive fighting for your life, right? When you're at this place where there's so much energy that's being, when you feel that yourself is threatened, then you're going to fight fight or flight. The same thing kind of happens for us. When we're angry, when somebody is kind of harming us or when we feel that something is threatening us, we're fighting for our lives because a lot of time our anger is tied to our identity. And when people are, let's say, getting in arguments, when somebody disagrees with them, they think that you're attacking not their idea, but the identity. If I feel somebody's attacking an idea, I'm not as affected. But if I feel that they're attacking my idea, then all of a sudden I'm threatened. And so what happens is that trajectory grows and the momentum grows because we're fighting for our lives. But to be able to watch our process and to watch our reactions is what gives us power. And a case in point, I'll give you an example. And I show this to a lot of, a lot of my clients when I'm doing this work, I'm, I'm letting them know that you becoming mindful, like I said earlier, is the most important process to evolution. And it looks like this. The best way that I can describe this is when a person experiences an event that frustrates them. When they're in a place where, okay, this person said something and this is extremely frustrating, this event. This is the event and this is you experiencing the event. When that happens, we go into a reactionary space. We're like, I must defend myself at all costs and we blow up and we regret it. We make the bad choice. Good choice up here, we make that bad choice. What I tell people is that your job is to create space because if you just react, you're a slave. So let's say, let's make some space. What would that look like? So instead of an immediate reaction, whoa, I gotta get a better, I gotta get a better marker eraser. All right. So instead of that immediate reaction, what you do is you wanna create a little bit of space right here. So before the reaction, you create space and then from there you make a choice. This right here is called mindfulness. This is where you become awake. You're putting yourself in a space to where you're not gonna immediately react. You try to pause. And let's say that you pause and you still choose the wrong thing. That's still a success. People think that reacting is problematic or that the action is the wrong thing. If you become aware and choose to be angry, you've empowered yourself. The goal from there is to choose not to be angry and then move to, I'm gonna act neutral or I'm gonna walk away. or I'm going to make the right choice. The great thing is that as time goes by, the mindfulness becomes less important and you soon be able to react in a positive way than react in a negative way. It's almost so like really, you programmed your mind and that's a great, that's a great analogy. Thanks 100%. for sharing. 
I remember I read this thing in business and negotiation where the visual, the visual picture was created that you got two people on a stage that are negotiating something and you have two choices. You could react or respond. Right. And the idea was to respond as opposed to react because reaction doesn't give you the best negotiated solution Absolutely. to respond. The idea was visualize yourself on that stage with that person and then levitate up about 30 feet looking down on the situation so you can respond thoughtfully. Right as opposed to react out of emotion or something that offended you about a deal that you were looking for that they didn't, they didn't meet you on. So I think that that's an interesting concept. The other thing I think is true is that hurt people hurt people. So you almost have to have a radar on and right. to know when a person's coming in, the energy they're bringing in. So if you get easily offended by your ideas being shot down or something said to you, you have to recognize the sources that it's coming from and recognize where they're at emotionally right. and where they're at maybe on an anger spectrum because for me, I can see uh, see it really quick when somebody's you know ramping up or amping up. Yeah, and I think it's important to to certainly you know identify that. So the other thing I've noticed is, you know, again, you go back to YouTube videos. Um, anger is contagious; it creates a mob-like behavior. You can see where um, something happens in a group that may be just outrageous, but all of a sudden the group starts to take on that behavior. Yeah. So talk just a little bit about the the idea of anger affecting other people and creating even worse outcomes. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it, your mind goes to when, when crowds are together, we have this kind of group think, right? So when we see something and someone expresses this massive amount of energy, we pick up that energy, right? And you'll see people will either fly away, they'll run away, or they'll be excited and kind of jump into it. If it's their tribe that's being attacked, that's an identity on a communal level. It's all tied to identity in so many ways. The, mo the problem is that people don't know how to separate themselves. So when I feel attacked or someone that I believe in is attacked or my representative is attacked, then I am attacked. And therefore I must protect it as though it's myself because in a sense it is me, it's my ideas. If that conversation is directed towards him, it could also be directed towards me and I can lose my stability, right? The biggest thing is to be able to separate the idea from the identity. But it's, it's very difficult because when the limbic mind is fired, that's where we act. And so the work, like we were saying before, is to repetitively work on being aware of what's happening. Because right. once you start to see your emotions, then you can control them. It's like working on that muscle so it's, it's automatic, right? Muscle right. memory. And so the first pillar we talked about is certainly recognizing that anger is destructive. The second mm -hmm. pillar is really recognizing your anger triggers and learn, learning how to control them. When I think about this, you know, it's all about when people get angry, there's something that's triggering them at some level, right? So it can right. be time pressure. They got a, a poor job interview. Right, right. Absolutely. They didn't get the raise. They didn't get the job. Their self-esteem has taken a massive hit. Um, right. So what are some strategies we can do to be mindful again of triggers in ourselves and in others uh, to ensure that we can control it? You know what? Just like you're saying with that mindfulness, it's, it's to understand when you're angry there's a spectrum of what happens. So let's say that we have that line that I talked to you about and you break through and you were angry. Usually a couple you know, minutes, days later, depending on who the person is, they realize, you know what, I, I wish I didn't do that. If anybody's watching this, most likely they're into developing themselves. So they're not trying to be angry all the time. The goal is how can I get closer and closer to the event? How can I realize that I don't want to react to this way closer to the event? So instead of five minutes after, it's immediately after. Instead of immediately after, it's during. Instead of during, it's right before. And instead of right before, it's when somebody else is showing those symptoms. What you're trying to do is just get yourself to move along that spectrum. And so if it's immediately after, you congratulate yourself on, hey, instead of five minutes, it was one minute. I still reacted negatively, but I noticed it. Then it was in the middle. 
And even though I still reacted negatively, I became mindful of it. And I pat myself on the back for that. And you start to move to before the incident. And this is where it's powerful because what you can do then is map your trajectory, map your actually terrain. Where do I feel anger in my body? And I do this with my clients all the time is where do you feel it? Is it in your head? Do you feel it in your chest? Do you feel it in your solar plexus? Each person has a different place. But what you do is when you find it, you put a flag there, a red flag. And you start to become adept at what the feeling of anger is. Once you know what the feeling of anger is, then when that flag comes up, you go, bookmark, I know what this is. That's when you get freedom because you soon become an objective observer as opposed to the person who's subjectively protecting themselves. Yeah, it feels like it's almost anticipating ahead of time allows us to minimize the impact of the anger. So I like that idea of roadmap where you can see the landmines and the red flags of what could trigger and you know ahead of time where the train you're, you're sort of driving into and right. you have that anticipation piece. That preparation, man, is absolutely everything because we don't even know how much our mind, it's, it's a pattern interrupt. Like if neuro-linguistic uh, programming, like if something negative happens, if somebody pats you on your back, on your uh, shoulder, as time goes by, you'll tie that negative emotion to that pat. In the same way, if, as time goes by, as you tie a positive opportunity to change to that anger, all of a sudden anger is going to become two-faced. It no longer will be just this thing that embodies you. It'll also be this opportunity to make a change, to do something different, to respond versus react. Right. That's, that's, that's super. So then the third pillar identified is just wait. We've all heard this as kids count to 10, right. Um, think before you jump. Right. So right. The, I think the greatest cure for anger is to wait. So the initial passions, cause you, you mentioned earlier, it's really emotion. Uh, the, the initial passions and the energies just sort of die down. Right. Because I think anger creates that brain fog. I mean, we right, all look back to a time where someone really pissed us off and said something and you cannot think straight to save your life. You can't even process multiple things. I mean, I would challenge anybody to be angry and then try to do three or four things in a quality way where the quality outcome, right? Um, you're, you're, you know, whatever it is, measurement, cutting, right. um, trying to compute a math uh, equation. I'm telling you, when you're angry, you just get this. Does not happen. Brain. You just can't think straight. You know, it's, it's, you're in fight or flight. There's a different part of your brain that's turned on. Literally, the blood rushes to the back of your brain and leaves your rational mind. So you cannot physically be able to do things that require quality or efficiency. It's run. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's move. It's fight. It's survive. When you're in survival mode, it doesn't happen. That's why it's so important to be able to pause it. That's why it's so important to try to keep everything in the front of your mind. And just like you said, count to 10 is a great one. The 333 rule, right? You find three things that you see three things that you hear and three parts of your body. You're just like, okay, you're putting your mind in a place where it has to focus on something other than that emotion, right? right? That's a powerful way to be able to break free from that anger. Another way is to be able to say words out loud, such as I feel angry. When a person says I am angry, they embody anger. They are the anger. When I am anger, I do as anger does. I have no choice but to show up. I identify as the emotion. But when a person says, I feel, what they do is they step away. They say that anger has come. It's not who I am, but I feel it. When you say, I feel, you separate yourself from whatever follows it. And when you right. have that separation, you then have the power to grab because I can't take my arm off. But if I say that anger is not me, but it's something I feel, then I can look at it. I can observe it. I can become a expert of it. And then I can set it down. That's where that space is so important. Yeah, no, that's, that's really important. You know, when I think about, uh, we talked about this a few uh, podcasts ago, we talked about the idea of tuning into a frequency. And I think sometimes people tune into anger because it does serve them. 
It serves right. for controlling purposes. It serves for intimidation purposes. It serves a lot on a lot of different levels. But I think if you think about it, anger is certainly a poor guide to happiness. It interferes with problem solving and good judgment and making us rash and rigid in our thinking. So when we're angry and we take a position politically, mm -hmm. we're not able to have the flexibility to see the other side of that position. We just get rigid, gestalt, cement-like in our positions. Yeah. And really growth becomes or comes from really listening to both sides and using some intuition and wisdom to say, okay, where does it really settle for me? And where are the information and facts coming from? If I'm angry or so, I take yeah. a position politically, there is no way I'll hear a phenomenal idea because there's a lot of ideas out there yes. left to right that are good. You know, it's walk a mile in another person's moccasins, right? Um, this is, this is evolution here. And this is really what I'm pushing for. When I say for my business, what our, what our mission is, is to mass produce better human beings, right? And these are high performing, better human beings, mass production. To be a better human being means you have to migrate to the front of your mind. You have to be aware of your, of the other person. You have to start to understand that these are other humans who are fighting for what they believe in. The bad guys never really consider themselves the bad guys. They truly feel they're the good guys that are fighting for whatever rights they have. But in our minds, we're saying, no, they're the bad guys because they're not us. And so if we understand that we all are fighting for something that we believe in, that gives us some kind of a common denominator. Something that I used to say when I was teaching at Cal, I used to tell the students, if you remember, no matter who you come in contact with, is these three things. Everybody has loved something, everybody has lost something, and everybody's afraid of something. What that does is it humanizes people. It puts you in a place where you're like, okay, let me, let me take a second. Before I think that this person is a malicious person and they want the worst for me and they're trying to take me out, maybe they're fighting for their own life. Maybe they're afraid. In a research, they found that the way that people think about their mistakes versus the mistakes of others, for others, they think that it's a characteristic trait. If somebody does something that's rude or cuts somebody off or whatever, it's, that's who they are. But when we do it, it's our circumstances. I was running late. That's why I cut you off, right? I wasn't rude. It was just that I felt that this was happening, so I had to do that. When your mind naturally does that, it's a recipe for disaster. But if you could pause it, stop it, say, hey, wait for a second. This person believes that the circumstances caused them to do this as well. Let me take a look at what their circumstances could be. Then all of a sudden, oh, this person is fighting about this political party because they've been affected by certain laws that came out by another one that specifically affect them and didn't touch me, right? Or understanding that maybe I just don't know, but there is something that puts me in a state of curiosity to where I'm not just trying to shove my point down your throat, but at the same time, I'm trying to understand yours, especially because if you're a master negotiator, understanding the needs of the other person is where your power is at. Because you understanding it, you then can negotiate it based on what they value, as opposed to thinking that giving them the facts is really going to teach them. People don't care about facts. They care about their needs. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think, you know, it, it, the whole idea of just waiting on your anger is so important because anger really drives us to confrontation, motivate, motivating revenge and retaliation. We know, I mean, look at the prisons and look at the courts right. and look at a lot of things that happen. Revenge and retaliation don't end well, right? And so the idea to step back, get in the person's shoes, um, seek to understand before being understood what Love the position that. is and why they think the way they think. 
um, it, it's really magical. And I've, I've got uh, good friends from Pakistan, from all over the world. And as you start to hear that culture and the reality, right. for example, in Pakistan, you see it from a different perspective than just from an American news perspective. And, it, and it's really um, inform, informational, certainly informative. And so I think another, um, it, we talked a little bit about solutions waiting, but you know, I think it's really important when we think about weight is to really remove yourself from, from the situation that is provoking the anger, right? And withhold right. all actions until you're really in the right frame of mind. And I'll tell you, maybe it's a, two, a day or two days later or three days later. Um, I think it's really important. So for example, you get an email that lights you up, sit on it, don't do anything, right? Or right. seek advice from a third party, someone like Burke, right? Hey, I'm going through this. What is your reaction to it? They're not emotionally involved, right? They're um, they, they can be good arbiters of the facts of what's going on, assuming right. you give the right facts. Uh -huh. And then another thing I came across is really deep breathing. You know, I think right. when we get in this fight or flight, we're not getting oxygen in our body or our brain, and we even get worse in terms of our ability to process and rationalize. Yeah, man. You know what? It's interesting. Aristotle, this is, this is powerful. Aristotle said, anybody can be angry, but to be angry at the right person for the right reason at the right time and to the right degree and with the right purpose this is difficult. And really what I really want people to understand is that anger is not bad. It serves its purpose. You look at animals, right? If, if a hyena is coming up on a lion's kill, it has, to get, it has to dominate. It has to set a stance, right, and a standard. For us is that we don't know how to manage. We don't know how to control it. We don't know how to understand it. Anger is just a guide. It tells you something's not right. But to immediately think that it's not right over there is where the problem is. It's to say something is not right here or something is not right on their eyes. How can I ameliorate this? How can I, how can I find a central ground? You see, that's where our power is at. It's understanding how to manage and how to create channels for that anger. If you can transmutate that into something that pushes you towards greatness, if you can use those triggers that you feel as opportunities, like we said before, to be red flags to evolve, then all of a sudden anger becomes your superpower and being emotionally intelligent and empathetic to other people's anger is an absolute superpower. You can, you can, if you're, let's say, just trying to be a master debater, right? You have to have the understanding of understanding what the person's triggers are, right? And being able to understand, you know, they say the, the emotional iceberg or we'll say the volcano, cause this is better. When it explodes, the lava is what you see. That's what burns you. You're the person who's the recipient of that anger. But you have to understand underneath there's magma. There's a lot of pressure. There's things that are happening that we don't see, and those are unmet needs. And so as we become adept, we say there is an unmet, unmet need. Let me dis discover what that is through asking questions. When you ask questions, you automatically diffuse somebody. When somebody makes a statement against you and you're like, no, but, you've built up their power. Right. You ask questions, you diffuse it so that they feel heard, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Then they're diffused because they feel value and they're willing to give some back. Yeah, I think it's really important to keep in mind as we're going through these emotions that, you know, we know in anger, any decision we make will be a bad one, right? And right. we know that you said earlier that anger is, anger is an emotion that will pass at some point. And so the idea of destroying things thoroughly in that moment certainly has to be considered. And I want to go back to, uh, which is actually the fourth pillar, you sort of touched on this, is being able to put yourself in the shoes of the person making us angry, right? right. Anger is an unjustified estimate of our own worth that causes our anger and an unwillingness to put up with treatment we would happily inflict on others, right? So <laughs> what you said earlier was we have an estimate of our worth and we're willing to take the same energy and inflict it upon others, something that we wouldn't want inflicted on ourselves. So it's that mindfulness 
you know, aspect, but I think it's the humanity and humbleness that says, look, how many times have I acted badly? How many times have I acted frustrated? And I remember early on in my career, I, we watched this video and this guy was coming around the corner um, and this girl was um, going on the bend and he's on the outside and she screamed at him, pig. And he drives around offended until he hit a pig at about 40 miles an hour, right? So <laughs> yes, he was taking yeah. the wrong, wrong cues for what she was trying to warn him of. So part of it is like you said, get in that person's shoes, understand where they're coming from. And, and to me, it's like, I don't react to it. If someone does something crazy, whatever, you know, like my health is really important and I don't need the energy that comes from that negativity and just know that yeah, it's, it's a tough day and this too shall pass. Remember I, people come flying up at the light. I just call them sparky, right? I mean, right, right, right. <laughs> they're fired up. Maybe they're on caffeine. Something's going on. Right. But, uh, but I think it's really important to understand in our own right, how are we showing up and we got to give grace to people because if you don't, real. it really hurts yourself. It's about justice, man. I mean, what happens is when we feel that we have to be Batman, what we try to do is we're like, I need to make sure they know that this was wrong. We start to become the judge. I'm the judge, I'm the jury, I'm the executioner because you did this to me, I need to let you know what, what's about to go down. You know, it's interesting, I was teaching uh, one of my classes, I do a lifestyle class, and what we're doing is teaching people how to live a better life and we include health and everything with it. And what was something that was interesting was one of the, the students uh, in the course was saying, you know, she was walking, this was in uh, Marine Del Rey, she was walking in a homeless person uh, kind of cat called her. Uh, she didn't know exactly what he said, but she did not like that person when she was walking home, right? The next time she walked by and she just asked him a question, she told him she didn't appreciate it, but just said, hey, is there everything okay with you? Is there anything I can get you? This man immediately broke and totally became a different person. Totally became a different person. And they ended up engaging in a conversation. I'm not saying I recommend that all people do that, but what I'm saying is that what you initially see may not be the truth right? The lava that comes out may not be the real issue. And then understanding that people are hurt, scared, afraid, right? Then all of a sudden you come to a place where you can actually just tap in a different direction. And then all of a sudden they show up as a different person. People forget that it takes two to tango sometimes, right? And so if someone kind of spews on you and you react in hostility or just ignore them or curse them as you walk on, there may be an opportunity to help release a little bit of pressure with them. People are not inherently mean. Life hurts. And just like you said, hurt people, hurt people. So having that mindfulness and seeing yourself as kind of as an elevated human being, not hierarchically, hierarchically but I'm saying just in terms of just, I am, I'm in a higher space mentally. And not only do I want to be above you, I want to see if I can help. And right. as soon as you show me that you, you don't want help, I, I'm out. I'm good. I'm not yeah. going to try to be Jesus. But I'm, I'm controlling myself and I'm giving them an opportunity to evolve themselves. Right. Now, that, that's powerful. I think in essence, we all have the same similarities versus difference, right, as people. And we've all acted in probably regrettable or unreasonable ways at, at some point in time. And, and we later realize that our free will that we think we have, because we're actually, actually going out there thinking we could do X, Y, and Z, and we have a lot of free will. But in truth, we're really controlled by our passions and yeah. become mindful and, and to become aware and, and really understand the other person um, and what they're going through. Um, it, it kind of puts anger. For example, if you, you took a murder case, right? And the guy does a horrible deed. Maybe he's a serial murderer. In fact, I interviewed somebody in my show, uh, right. Detective Julissa Trapp, and she um, was able to catch a serial murderer. Mm. And as they go through this process, you realize there's some regret. There's some remorse. He was hurt. He was understood. That's right. how she got the big confession. And what he was looking for is somebody to love him at some level. And there's, mm. there's clearly 
depths Absolutely. of depravity and, and destruction in this man's life. But it, it, you could see this guy just evolve and change once he saw somebody actively listen, show they cared, and was willing to listen to his story. And it wasn't just the murders that he did, but it was the whole backstory that he shared. And the fact that he was understood, it melted away the edge and the anger and the, and the intensity. Powerful, man. You know, it's interesting. I've worked, I've worked with district attorney offices and I've worked with formerly incarcerated. I work with parole officers. I've worked on, on every side. And what's so interesting is the commonalities in terms of values are the same. The unmet needs are, are what, what splits the issue in a lot of ways, those drivers. And there's some bad people out there, of course, but there's a lot of bad environments. You know, one of my friends, uh, when I was at Cal, used to be a part of a gang. And I really was like, how did you get here? Like, what, what were the breakthrough moments? And something that he mentioned was that all he knew in his, in his hood was his block. And that there was no opportunity. And the only way to climb was in this gang, right? But his father was from a different country. And so even though his mother was from there, his father, who they were separated, would every year take him to the forest. They would go and camp with that side of the family. And what he discovered was that there was another world available. By discovering that there was another world available, he then had choice. When you don't believe you have choice, then that's the path that you must take. You think this is what has been carved out for you. And so it puts people in this place where they think that this is all they have because no one cares. And so it puts you in a place where you start to react and respond in that way. And if we think of it ourselves, the way that we're raised in a lot of ways makes us who we are. And I tell people this all the time. I was like, I'm capable of being the worst person in the world with the right environment. And if I can say that, it puts me in a state of humility where I cannot immediately judge a person because I do not know their narrative. I do not know their story. I do not know the pain. Still, obviously, if you do a crime, it makes sense. If there needs to be punishment and retaliation, but to think that the person is identified as a criminal for the rest of their life, as opposed to a person who made a mistake, paid their time, and is now trying to recreate themselves, that's where we have to change. And we have to do the same thing when we can talk about politics, when we can talk about religion, because just as a criminal is a criminal, a person is a person is, and we have those titles and those labels. But to remember, let me step back. What is my conditioning, my brainwash, and what is theirs? And how much can we erase to really meet each other? Well, that's powerful. <laughs> that, there's a lot to unpack in that, and there's a lot, of, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of great pearls and truth and wisdom in that. Because um, it's, it's so true, you know, if, if you grew up in a, with a silver spoon in your mouth or with advantage, you know, it's so easy to think you're, you're all it, right? You're, you're the person, you're the man, you're the woman. And the reality is, but for the grace of God, go I. And that could change tomorrow in a heartbeat. You right. could lose everything. And I think the gift is really walking with humility, seeing the humanity in everyone. Um, and I think my experience has been that for most people, they want love. They want respect. They have like a sign on their forehead. We talked about this. It says, I'm good enough. I'm worthy mm -hmm. enough. I'm talented enough. Please love me at some level, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's what they want. They want to be understood. They want to be understood in context. And if they've been through something absolutely horrific, they want to be understood, right? And if you just go wrong about your life uh, like a ne'er-do-well, unaffected by it, that's probably not the best thing for your own growth, right? It's, it's really about being able to touch those spaces. And I remember reading about Tony Robbins. He took his kids to Skid Row for the purpose of keeping them off drugs and alcohol. But yeah. when you take it and go into those environments, it's not like those people signed up necessarily proactively to show up there. Sometimes you get curveballs in life. Sometimes you get setbacks in life that are on recoverable. Sometimes you get health issues. Yeah. It destroys all your savings. So there's any number of reasons why people are there. 
and it's really hard to pull out of it. So I think it's really important. And I think that's why God brings you across those circumstances. It's really right. to grow us. I mean, if we sit in our little bubbles here in Orange County and other parts of America, we don't grow. I mean, and if people think about what the purpose of life is, you know, obviously it's to you know find your goal and your purpose. We talked about that, but when you think about the, the the elements of life, it's all defined by one word: growth. When you start out as a baby, you grew so you could crawl, then you grew so you could walk, and then run, and then become athletic, or you developed your brain and you became a great you know student, or you're really smart. But life is characterized and defined by growth. And who says it has to stop when you hit 22 or 24? You learned X and you stay in that way. The gift is really, on, you know, honestly, never-ending improvement, always growing, looking at people, trying to understand them, trying to figure out the mysteries of life and what makes a person tick. You know, it's um, to him who is much more is demanded, right? And I think what happens is sometimes to him who has much, they say, hey, I did this. Why don't you do it yourself? They don't realize that there's a calling. When you have certain privileges, when you are able to be raised a certain way, there is a fundamental expectation to give back. It should be that. The final stage of my program is inspiration. I don't care if you've reached all your goals. If you're not inspiring somebody else to become better, then you have not been successful in my philosophy. 100%. It, it's, the, it's the importance of inspiring that really makes it come full circle. Because what happens is you create exponentially leaders who are servant leaders, right? This is where the power, when you're a servant leader, you can have power, you can be alpha, you can be whatever, but you have love and you're coming from a place of where you're building them up more than you're trying to build up you. That's what inspiration is, is to give spirit, right? To inspire. That's what we're trying to do. And so it's extremely important to understand that I have privileges and these privileges have been afforded to me. And of course I have things that work against me. We all do. Some more than others. Let's acknowledge that. But what we do is we say, where I do have privileges, then I can give back. I'm not going to say, yes, I, I have these privileges, but I have these disadvantages, and that's why I'm only going to be this way. No, where I have privileges, I want to give back as best as I can. And this should be for every human being, because that's where we start to build a better society. And people don't understand, and especially in the Western world where it's individualized, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, but a healthy society is, is defined by its prisons, right? By its homelessness. It's defined by how we all communally help each other. And if people say that's not natural, then look at your family because even the worst of people who are the most bitter and angry will love their family. And they have that community feed itself for generations. If that is natural to you and your family, why can't you expand the definition of your family some? Because what it'll do is it'll build your community around your communities. And you have communities that help other communities. That's how you build a society. That's powerful, Burke. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. So um, let's transition to the fifth pillar, right? The fifth pillar of the seven pillars is heal rather than punish. So how much better would it be to heal a wrong than avenge um, a, a, a resentment, right? To avenge mm -hmm. something that causes resentment. So right. expel a little bit more on the idea of, of healing through, um, you know, taking a different approach than punishing. Because I think the problem with anger is it's all, it's all sort of rooted in punishment, destruction, get even with the mism. I'm going to show that person. What about the idea of forgiveness and healing? Yeah. You've heard the story of the, of the, the good wolf and the evil wolf, right? There's an Indian chief and he's talking. He's like, there's a, every morning there's a battle waged between these two, two wolves. There's the, the one of the light and one of the dark. And they're fighting to the death. And the son's like, which one will win? 
And he goes, whichever one you feed. The one that you feed is going to be the one that wins. And so when you punish, you feed the punishment mentality. When you heal, you feed the healing mentality. Simple as that. And if you're punishing outside, you're going to unconsciously punish in your home. It just, it's, a, it's reactive. You can't compartmentalize your psychology. And so what ends up happening is as you're in that space, you have to ask yourself, what is the outcome of that? When you punish, you separate. When you separate, it says that, you know, a, a city or what is it? A country divided will fall, right? It cannot stand. I think it was Lincoln who said that. But in that, in that, in that division, you sow seeds of enemies. You sow seeds of dissension. You sow seeds of discord. And that works against you. And when you have a punishment mentality, you're always looking for the crime, right? If I'm a prosecutor, all I seek is the problem. But if I'm looking for opportunities to heal, then all I see is the solution. It goes back to what I was talking about, salutogenesis versus pathogenesis. Pathogenesis, we study the disease, we understand what makes the disease tick, and we understand it. So we can say, you have this disease. And, but salutogenesis, we see the people who've experienced similar things, but they've come out of it. You're like, oh, you had this, but you overcame it. Let's study that and then give it to those that have this. You focus on what you want to be more of. If I focus on the punishment, on revenge, on protecting my identity, on trying to look good and not feel out of power, you strengthen that and your kids will pick up that trait too. But if you look at healing, if you look at healing, that's where the power is, right? In all the scriptures, they talk about how the, the humble, the weak, bringing them up, lifting them up. The Pharisees, they're too proud. It's where do we, how do I come at this place where I'm a doctor and I'm here to heal the sick? Like what's wrong with that, right? This is where our power is, is really derived. And so you have to choose what's most important to you. Who do you want to become? And then make your decisions. Yeah, I got a couple of reactions to that. It's, it's really interesting. We, when you think about power, power is an illusion, right? <laughs> um, the idea that we can give energy to something and it's going to forever change that something. Um, or that in this universe, as we're this ball of rock flying through our solar system or in this greater universe, yeah. like we really have that much of a ripple effect on time. And so I think power is very elusive and mm -hmm. it's imaginative in some respects, but it's, it's not fleeting. real in many respects. It's certainly fleeting. But I think the other thing I reflect on that in saying heal rather than punish as a pillar, it could be to the listener that, well, I've got to heal this certain circumstance as opposed to punish it. But I think it really starts with yourself. Hurt people hurt Absolutely. people. If you're not right in the head, it's almost impossible to, to go with that perspective healing rather than punishing. You got to work on yourself. And I know you've talked about this through meditation, mindfulness, certainly diet, exercise, getting out of yourself. I think it right. starts with healing yourself and then being able to give forgiveness and grace to other circumstances. Because ultimately, I mean, if you want influence and you want to be powerful, and like what you said, power isn't through money. And now I understand in the worldly sense, yeah. If you have, if you're the president of the United States, you control billions of dollars. Yes, you do have power in a lot of people's life. No question. But for the average Joe, right? Power comes by giving, a, giving away, right? Being mm -hmm. a servant, you give it out. You empower people, you encourage people. Right. When you do that, people are going to be more apt to follow you. Otherwise, if you think you're a leader and you're a big leader of an organization, if you look behind you and you're, it, you, nobody's behind you, it's called a long walk. And there's a lot of leaders on a lot of long walks because except for in, in, in corporate America where you're paid and you get benefits right. only in that regard, do people follow and pretend to salute and pretend to right. go along to get along? I mean, they're doing it because they want money. But if you said, if you took, if you, if you could do it sort of de-identified and say, what do you really think about the leadership of this company? 
you know, and, and they weren't going to get punished in a, in a perfect world, I guarantee the leaders of those companies would be shocked and amazed and astonished. Maybe not fully. Right. You know, the idea of being able to speak out what your truth is doesn't happen there. But I think it really starts with the person recognizing their hurts, their habits, hurts, and hangups, what's got them tripped up because people that trigger our anger are things that we are, that we have unresolved in our own lives. Right. So mm-hmm. to be able to extend grace and not want to retaliate through punishment starts first with the work with the first person, which is you. Healing is a universal process, right? If I, if I cut my arm, I'm not like, eh, it's my arm's problem. It's a part of me. T. Hawk Nan, there's a great book called Living Christ, Living Buddha. And he says, when I'm hammering and I hit my thumb, what's the first thing I do? So I hammer my thumb. The first thing I do is, ow, put it in my mouth. I bring it close to me. My left hand doesn't say to my right hand, God has told me to be good and take care of the thumb. The left hand and the right hand, they say, I hurt and they take care of themselves. And what they don't understand is that healing is universal. To heal a relationship is to heal yourself. To understand that just as the body can't distinguish pain from one piece to another, it says we must take care of myself as opposed to I am thumb left and I am thumb right. Pull yourself by your own bootstraps. It's understanding that universal oneness that we have. And when we connect to that oneness, then all of a sudden we are are propelled to act. We are compelled to act. And understanding that healing is, is something that happens on the outside, but just like you said, it happens on the inside. And when we start to work to look for finding solutions, when we start to work to find where we can heal, then we gain power. Now, at the same time, I'm a realist. We're humans. I understand war. I understand disagreements. I understand people parting ways because they disagree. Relationships deteriorating. Sometimes that may be healthy. There's a time to you know, gather stones and there's a time to st- scatter stones. It just is what it is. But the goal is what is my first initial impulse that tells me who my character is. Right. If I do all in my power to make healing while still respecting my own perspectives and ideas and respecting them, then I can make other decisions. But we immediately go, you're a threat. Punish, teach you never to do this before. And I've been there. I'm, I'm good with words. So I remember one time I was frustrated with somebody. I just wanted to let them know that they should never do that to me. I'll just, I, I, know how to, I know how to move words around. But a mentor and friend of mine is like, well, what is that frustration going to do? But to teach him not to be angry at you again, never to come at you. That's one person. You've taught him never to deal with one person out of all the people that he deals with. But if I come from a space of, hey, this is an opportunity for you to evolve. This is how I was hurt. This is what I don't appreciate, but this is how it affects other people. And this is what other people have said, not in a way to make him feel bad, but to say, hey, here's an opportunity for you to evolve. Did you learn anything out of this? And the person's like, wow. Absolutely. Like this is, this is, this is hard, obviously. And I'm like, great. And then what that did was it gave other people the voice to be able to stand up to that person. And it gave him the humility to be able to listen to them. So instead of me using my anger to protect my identity and my ego, I used that frustration and I moved it into a space where everybody won. Everybody is healed. To me, that's more important than just telling person, telling the person off and teaching them never to deal with me. Yeah, I guess that, 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 that's, that's a long-term impact that you're driving versus a short-term feel good emotionally for sure. Right. So the sixth uh, pillar we want to talk about in terms of controlling anger and, uh, you know, lengthening the short fuse, if you will, is choosing friends wisely. And boy, this, this is poignant. I, I was reading a, a study and according to Dr. David McClellan of Harvard, he said the people you habitually associate with determines as much as 95% of your success or failure in life. And so the idea mm-hmm. of friends who are honest, easygoing, have self-control, 
and will not inflame a situation is really, really important to, to consider when we right. think about the policy we're riding with, the friends we, we involve our lives with, because sometimes we'll select friends that meet needs. And again, if you're not involved as a person, you haven't worked on some things and developed some things, some of the needs you're trying to get fulfilled probably aren't the healthiest. And the people that the cast of characters you bring in under that right. guise could be problematic. Man. Who Walk with the wise, grow wise. Change the word wise with anything else, and it's the same. Walk with the foolish, grow foolish. Walk with the short-fused, grow short-fused, right? Because you got to prove yourself. They'll take advantage of you otherwise, right? You become what you surround yourself with. And so something that's scary to me is the people who keep friends their entire lives. Now, I'm not saying that you need to drop all your friends, but to keep the same crew because sometimes people fall off. And if you're still in this space, you might be crabs in a bucket. My, my relationships are always evolving. And there are times when I have friendships with people and I say, hey, I love you. I'm moving in a very specific direction. And in these areas, I really want you to come with me. And I want to see if I'm falling short in, in being a support to you. I've had those conversations. And usually they act in kind because they want to evolve. Sometimes they don't like it. That, detail, that tells me who they are, right? Uh, when I do my lifestyle program and when I do my coaching, I have this exercise where you, value, you evaluate your friendships. And people have a very difficult, difficult time with this because they feel so guilty writing numbers on a scale of one to five, right? Like, at what level do they inspire you? What level do you feel that they want you to succeed? right? What level do they push you to succeed? When do they call you out on your BS, right? Have they been vulnerable with you? And you just grade all of it. And it's so hard for them. But the funny thing is, is when they do it, they see something. And then the next one is, where would you grade yourself in that relationship on the same ones? Then they realized, I gave them low numbers. I have low numbers, right? It's a dance. We've been doing this together. Right. And so really evaluating your relationships and choosing mentors of people who have better self-regulation and self-regulation could be in anger. It can be in finances. It can be in anything. If they know how to manage themselves and keep their future self in mind, as opposed to just reacting in the moment, this is where you gain power. It's so, so huge to be able to make sure that you are mindful of who surrounds you. Well, it's true. You know, cause I think anger can spread faster than the wildfire. So the idea of family, friends, or colleagues, that continually provoke because by the way colleagues and family can do it inadvertently or um in a very clever way right just subtly right and it's a dig a dig a dig a dig and i think the idea of just like a wildfire being provoked by people we think are close to us or love us should be avoided they're toxic people and some points you gotta sometimes cut on some of these relationships to really bring you to a place where you can have a peace of mind because i think it's important to remember to keep control of our lives and to achieve peace of mind is ultimately the goal right you don't want to be tossed to and fro by emotions such as anger or other, you know, other sort of passions that we have. It's yeah. really about maintaining a controlled life because I think a lot of the reaction we have in our lives and a lot of the kind of frustration and anger is things that have happened to us. But if we're honest about it, it's really things we've allowed by the choices we've made. And if we're not mindful of the choices we're, we're making, then we're just a victim of circumstances. That it'll, make you less, it'll, it'll make you less successful. Yeah. Right. I mean, they did the marshmallow test. This is a perfect example. I'm sure you've heard of it where, you know, a kid is sitting there and he has one marshmallow and they go, don't eat the marshmallow. If you don't eat the marshmallow in five minutes, you're going to get two. This experiment was done like 50 years ago. The ones that waited were able to regulate themselves actually ended up producing higher income cumulatively than the ones that didn't wait. Because if you don't have the ability to fight, to self-regulate, to control your thinking, then you will be impulsive. 
And when you're impulsive, that means that you care more about your present self than you care about your future self. Case in point, my past self sets the alarm. My present self presses snooze because I care about my present self more than I care about my future self who's running late. If you can't tie a relationship between your past, present, and future self, if there is no integrity, then you have no control. And therefore, life will dictate for you who you're going to be. And people with integrity will dictate who you're going to be and who you're going to work for. That's why something as simple as being able to control your anger is a testament of, it's the same thing. It's the marshmallow test. It's a testament of whether you'll be successful or not. Anger only goes so far and it will work only so far with certain types of people. You have to find people that are willing to be dominated. But those who are higher echelons, unless you're going crazy and dominating at that level, which is going to deteriorate your body, you're going to be stuck in a pool where you feel safe. No, that's a good point. You know, it's interesting about anger and control. Um, you could say, well, there's a higher, uh, higher level of thinking, uh, the cerebral cortex, and somebody who's angry comes across one of those people, and they're just cerebral, and they don't react, and they don't respond, and it mutes, it mutes the impact. However, I would say that if someone had a gun to your head, they had total control, right? So there's, there's anger, and, there, and there's control, and that's certainly an extreme, uh, extreme example, but I'd also say that, you know, in certain parts of this country where there's, there's poverty and lack of education, et cetera, that's the means of control. I'm going to get your attention. I'm going to let you know I'm important. Um, and it's done through intimidation, fear, mm -hmm. uh, anger, whatever. So, um, you know, I think it's just important to be really aware of that. But th the seventh pillar I wanted to talk about was really practicing self-reflection. We've sort of talked about this, but mm -hmm. the idea that all of our senses should be trained to acquire strength and endurance, uh, assuming that the mind does not undermine them. So um, talk to us a little bit about self-reflection as mm -hmm. a anger management, uh, you know, recipe for success or tool. Absolutely. You know, we, we live by the seat of our pants, man. We're flying. And what happens is we don't stop to think. And the reason my program works so well is because of the journals that I have uh, all my clients use. Every one of them, and there's some heavy left-minded thinkers, become writers. Because there's a subconscious effect when you start to write. When you write, you are putting in alignment a narrative. Our thoughts usually are like this. And then whichever one's kind of create a big enough cloud, that's the one that we go towards. When you write, you're forcing it to filter through sentences with syntax and grammar and pauses, and it becomes poetic by default. It's a form of organizing your brain unconsciously. So when I have them go through an exercise and then write about it, that's when it stamps. The ability to reflect back is our superpower. Animals are so present. They're so present, they can't really think of the past right? Except for pain, you know, they learn lessons that way. But what, what's happening is we're teaching people to be able to reflect on their experiences. So what I tell people is when they get angry, when they make a mistake, celebrate. Because when it happens, you notice it. When you notice it, you celebrate noticing it. Then you reflect on it and you see what map, what recipe there was for that anger. Then when you know the recipe, you write out the steps and you know what you want to do in those times. The ability to reflect is so important. And second, is to be able to expect yourself to fail. The problem with most people trying to change think that they can change cold turkey. It took decades to get this way. Lucky for us, for neuroplasticity, it won't take decades to change. You can change in about three to six months. And you'll start seeing results within the first two weeks. Easy. Yeah. But what I say is I say prepare for failure. I think it was Kelly McGonigal. She was talking about this in terms of uh, preparing yourself for forgiveness. She said, you have a goal to not get angry or whatever. 
this is what you've set. I am going to not be, have a short fuse. I'm going to take time. I'm going to count to 10. I'm going to do the three, three, three rules, whatever it is. What I want you to do is I want you to write a letter to your future self saying it's okay that you made the mistake. And when that happens, you're going to read it. Just like you tell your friend when they make a mistake, it's going to be okay. It's not that. You give them a, a letter of self-compassion. If you prepare that for yourself, when you read that afterwards, it puts you in a space to where you're like, I'm going to get back on the high horse. Crazy, crazy story. This is uh, research that was done. They had women who were self-conscious about their bodies. <laughs> they felt that they were overweight already. And what the researchers did, they had them come in and they said, hey, we want you to eat this donut real quick and then drink a bunch of water. The goal was to get them exceptionally full and feel guilty about having the donut. They separated them into two groups after that was done, after they finished the other research, which was just kind of placebo. And then as they left, in the first group, the researchers said, thanks so much, really appreciate this. Feel free to grab a chocolate on your way out. Bye-bye. The other group said, hey, I'm sure you guys didn't want to eat that uh, donut. It's okay. It's not a big deal. You know that you can walk this amount and you'll be able to lose the calories. Don't get too hard on yourself. Feel free to grab a chocolate on your way out. What they found out is the people that didn't get the message of self-compassion ate more chocolate than the people who did. What they call it was the what the hell effect. I messed up what the hell I might as well have more, coffee, uh, more chocolate. Right. Dang it. So what happens is you get guilty, you, go, you fall off your bandwagon, you hate yourself, and then you go deeper into the sickness. When I'm telling my clients, I say, stop, forgive yourself, and then you're less inclined because you're able to get back on the high horse. My goal is not to be able to have you have a perfect trajectory to greatness. I'm trying to lessen the bounce back time. If I can increase the speed of you bouncing back, then I've really changed your life. I've empowered you more than you even know, more than we'll ever be able to cumulatively understand. That's where Maybe the power of I think by doing is. that, you're given a belief and confidence that, hey, I can do something and improve an outcome as opposed to I do something and I keep going back into these pits and, and you know, these destructive behaviors or I don't- Small mistakes are okay. The small mistakes are okay. That's really what it really is. It's that it's okay to make mistakes. Getting from anger to angel is not going to happen, right? It's how do we make those small mistakes and forgive ourselves so that we slowly get better. It's that baby step. Just like you said, it's from you, cr you have to crawl before you walk, before you run. Yeah. Well, you know, you said something before, and I, I'm really a big believer on, uh, on journaling. And whether it's called an anger journal or journaling, journaling in general, I think the idea is, if you've gone through something and you journaled it, let's say five years ago, and you came up with a recipe for success, so that five years later, you come across something similar, you can go back to refer to that journal and see how you handle it, that version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And certainly five years later, you're going to be more nuanced, more mature, uh, maybe more adept. But I think Absolutely. journaling is really interesting, especially if someone really has a problem with anger for whatever reason, you know, molestation. There's a lot of reasons that people uh, rightfully so should be angry. But the idea of journaling, I think, is, is very, very powerful because it allows us to track those experiences with anger to, you know, to, to identify the patterns of behavior, right? So what is it that gets me amped up two years ago? How did I think about handling? I mean, I worked with Burke. Here's a recipe for success. I employed that. What was the outcome? I think going back and looking at Huge. that is very beneficial because I don't know about you. Some people have the memory of an elephant, but most people don't. And Absolutely to not. understand and recall the nuances of what you said and how you dealt with it um, is altogether different than what we can actually remember. It, it, it creates anchor points. When you relive something, you've lived it twice. When you think about it, you've lived it again. But if you relive the frustration of a person and then not the reaction that you had, but how much it made you mad and how you repeated what you wish you said to them, right? Or what I'm going to tell them the next time I see them, what happens is you're ruminating 
and you're journaling about something that is not salutogenesis. It's the pathogen, right? So what happens is when you talk about the success or what you learn from it, then you're powerful. The first exercise I do with my client is a breakthrough exercise. What was the last time that you had a massive breakthrough that you remember that left you feeling exhilarated? What was the feelings before, the fears, the doubts, the concerns? What was it that you did that finally made you to tip over? What was the breakthrough and how did you feel afterwards? Then what we do is we literally go through every single piece and then turn it into a recipe. And I say, if you pick this up and you put it over any situation that you go through in your life, because inside this recipe is your process for breakthrough. And then all of a sudden it becomes no longer about how do I rescale this new mountain? It's I have the tools and I know what to look for. That's where you gain massive power to be able to break through any situation in your life. Cause you've done it before. Right. No, that's, that's, that's great. That's great. Burke, great, great uh, talk today. So let me just recap the, the pillars we talked yes. about. Seven pillars of control anger. Recognize that anger is destructive. Recognize your anger triggers learn to control them. Just wait. Uh, put yourself in the shoes of the other person making us angry. Um, heal rather than punish. Choosing friends wisely. And of course, practicing self-reflection. What a, what a great discussion. Again, very poignant. Right. And, and the, really the goal is, at, at the top, was mastering your anger, how to turn the short fuse into a long fuse. Because Ultimately, I would argue it's, it's much better for our health, our sanity, right. how we see the world, how we show up in the world. Um, and I think it'd be much better for society in general. So true, man. It's a, it's a superpower that we can, if we learn to regulate, can really give us what we want in life more and give us more peace. Absolutely. Hey, Burke, thanks so much for uh, this series of Beyond. I uh, really loved it and looking forward to next week. Back at you, man. This is great. All right, thanks, man.